Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. You're listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. If you want to get in touch with the show, email us at IllegalMotionPodcast at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at Illegal underscore Motion. Thanks for downloading. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. In Los Angeles, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. And joining us, as always, from Nashville, Tennessee, where his Lebanon Blue Devils are getting ready to take on Antioch this Friday, it's the coach, Corey Burton. What's going on? Yeah, we're, we're looking to get back on the winning track here this week. Uh, saw them on film, like what we see. Got to good, feel, feel good about our game plan. Guys, something that coaches need to do every once in a while is just is just change up the practice schedule a little bit, flip it over. Uh, something that we did, something that we hopefully to get some positive results out of it. We're excited, and uh, I'm no doubt excited to be here. Awesome. Excellent. Well, it's always good to have you. And in the second city, a man who has an equal appreciation for both Bernie Sanders and Colonel Sanders, Justin. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, man. The uh, For those liberals out there, the Democratic debate was the other night. Uh Interesting, interesting outcomes. Social media says Bernie won. Some of the older news services are saying Hillary won. I don't know. It's a exciting time. Democracy in action. Indeed. Yeah, we, it's, uh, it's going to be election season here soon enough. Josh, I know you are a, 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 a proud caucuser often in the Iowa, in the, uh, Iowa caucuses. So um, it's going to be interesting when that comes around. But we're going to stick out of politics for the most part and get into college football because that's what we're all here to talk about. So on tonight's podcast, we'll get to the usual quick slants and play action, spread formations a little bit later. But we'd be remiss here at Illegal Motion if we didn't at least take a minute to talk about the big news regarding coaches this week. In case you've been living under a rock, on uh, on Monday, Steve Sarkeesian was officially fired by USC athletic director USC and athletic director Pat Hayden one day after taking a leave of absence. Hours later, South Carolina Gamecock head coach Steve Spurrier stepped down from his position in a somewhat abrupt manner. But before we wax poetic on the old ball coach, let's talk about the situation in Los Angeles. So, Josh, do you think Sark's ever going to be able to coach again? Um, well, I mean, we talked about it last week, so I'm not surprised he, he got fired. You know, I brought up the example of Gary Moeller getting canned from Michigan and uh, Larry Stacey in a basketball situation from Iowa State, and both of them found work. Uh, Moeller became a longtime NFL assistant, got a Super Bowl ring in capacity with uh, Baltimore during their first Super Bowl way back with Brian Billick and uh, Larry Stacy. Um, I think he was out of the game for about a year and then got a head coaching job at Southern Miss. And now he's at Colorado state and has that program rolling. So uh, I am entirely confident that Sark will get another coaching job. The problem for him, of course, is, you know, addiction never goes away. You, you never fully recover. It's always going to be something that he has to be cognizant of, and that might affect some of his decisions on where he coaches. He might not want to be at another high-profile job, or if he is at a big school, he might want to only stay as a offensive coordinator. So we'll see. But I think he'll get another coaching job. And this is a country of second chances, and I don't know of any area of <clears> – <throat> job performance where we give more second chances than sports. So uh, I certainly hope he gets healthy and it just was not a, not a good fit. Obviously the stress of his marriage falling apart, being at a school where you have to win 
Um, it, it just was a, a combination of events. So obviously we hope Sartre gets the treatment and it'll be curious where his next stop is. Well, the, the the good thing for Sark is, is he's finally acknowledging his problem. He's finally going to go get help, and and that's you know that's what you want to see. You know, you, you hate to see someone lose their job because of alcoholism, but you know he was starting to you know he was showing up at games drunk. He was showing up at meetings drunk. Who knows how many other times he's he's been drunk? Maybe he's been drunk his whole his whole tenure at at USC. But uh, as far as bouncing back, he'll bounce back. I, I have full confidence that he will. Um, I don't think he'll ever be a head coach anymore. I don't think he'll ever want to be a head coach anymore. Um, I, I think he'll be content making two hundred grand as a quarterbacks coach somewhere in the Pac-12 or somewhere, somewhere. Um, and yeah, I don't think he has any problem with that. He just handles quarterbacks, and, and that's what he's good at, and that's what he'll do. Yeah, see, actually going along with that, I think he'll actually find more success if he moves up to the NFL because I think that you don't have the same – because he won't be recruiting when he's in the NFL. And you know if you're an assistant coach in, um, you know, in any college football program, you're going to have to be, go out on the road and go into, recruit, into recruits' homes. And the first thing that you know, parents are going to ask is, are you handling your addiction? Do you want your child to go play for someone who has been open about alcoholism? And I think that you know, he would probably benefit for at least, uh, if he's going to continue coaching, head to the pros, be a quarterback's coach, be a, you know, a – quality control guy for a year or two and so oh, i think he'd have less stress as a quarterback's coach honestly those quality control guys if you're if you're unfamiliar with what quality control guys do um they are the they are the film gurus they are the breakdown gurus they are the they are the men behind the film um that give you all the data they give you all the tendencies they're the ones that print out the progress reports they're the ones that scout ahead they're the ones that probably even work more hours than regular assistants especially in the nfl uh, college, maybe not so much. College, maybe they're just kind of paid GAs. Um, but in the NFL, those guys, they earn their paycheck. Uh, and, and those guys are well-respected. Every great NFL coach at one point has, has held a quality control role. So um, I don't know stress-wise if that will be the best option for him. I think maybe just coaching coaching NFL quarterbacks. I, you know, that job seems to be pretty – I don't want to say easy because coaching NFL is never easy, but um, – you know, as far as like compared to being a being the head coach at University of Southern California, you know, there's no, you know, there's no comparison. You know, it's it's night and day as far as you know the level of difficulty or the level of stress and the temptation of wanting to, you know, want to drink. And and maybe he goes to a place like Green Bay and coaches Aaron Rodgers, where you know all you have to do to coach Aaron Rodgers is just stay out of his way. Yeah. And Green Bay, there ain't nothing to do in Green Bay. Stay home. It's too cold. Just stay inside. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, no, I mean, you know, Matt, I, I like your idea of him going to the NFL. I think, you know, with his ability to coach quarterbacks and, and kind of understand how quarterbacks work. I yeah, think. and I just think – I just think, weirdly enough, I think there's less public, public scrutiny and less day-to-day scrutiny on him. If he goes to the NFL, you can be shielded a little bit more by everything else that's going on. So, well yeah. – we need, to, we need to talk about the old ball coach. I know that we are all fans of his quips and, you know, just his sort of his style in general. And he will be, he will be missed. But, you know, there, there have already been talks that he's going to be uh, heading up to ESPN's college game day, doing something with them. And we know he'll be great at that. But, Josh, do you have a particular spur your moment that really, like, sticks out in your head or a particular memory of him that you, like, really enjoy? 
Well, I mean, I think his best quote of all time was the fire that happened at Auburn and some books burned. They, they said like 20 books got damaged. And his, yep. his, quote, his quote was, well, shame is 15 of them haven't been colored in yet. Uh, I mean, <laughs> it's just genius. Um, the one thing that I guess for me about Spurrier that hasn't been discussed yet, I don't know why it hasn't, but um, his resignation was so abrupt that I, my initial thought was maybe he's sick. And it seems like that's not the case, which is really good. But um, I thought it was really off-putting how some media outlets said that he was a quitter and he's quit on the team. It's like he's the all-time winningest coach at that program. He's one of the all-time greats. When he wants to go, he can go. I mean, he's earned that right. So I thought that was pretty distasteful to make it seem like he was he was bailing on a team. I mean, let's be honest. They were, they were two and four. They were a train wreck. Him going through the motions for six more games wasn't going to change anything. No, I mean, you know, I, you know, it just it doesn't look good, you know, the, the fact that he's leaving so abruptly. But, you know, that's just what he wants to do. He, you know, well, I, I see it as he's providing somebody with an opportunity. I, I don't think he's somebody that's that's scared and going to run away from a challenge. That's that's definitely, you know, if if you know who Steve Spurrier is, if you know what kind of person he is, you know that's not true. You know, I I think that he just he's emotionally drained, physically drained, mentally drained. And and I think he just wants to give somebody an opportunity, and, and I think he feels like he's standing in the way, and wasting, you know, wasting an opportunity for somebody, and uh, you know, somebody that might not already get those get those opportunities to be a head coach in in, in a major college program. Maybe somebody gives, maybe gives that guy that uh, I forget the guy's name, but maybe gives him a chance to to put a put a resume out there. Hey, I was an interim coach at South Carolina and, and see how he does. If he wins a few games, that might be huge for his career. And and now we're looking at Steve Spurrier like this, you know, great opportunity provider, which, you know, and, and you have to appreciate what he did. I mean, he coached till he was 70. I'm surprised he even started this year, to be honest with you. You know, I thought he was going to retire after last year. He looked pretty, pretty worn out and, and kind of miserable at the end of last year. So, um, but uh, you know, always my greatest fondest memories of of Steve Spurrier were just seeing that visor fly anytime anything went bad. Uh, just seeing him uh, at Florida in his element, where he just felt at home, and and the rivalry between him him and Bowden, all the press conferences, things like that. You know, he he was a guy competitively football wise you love to hate, but you know, he he drew a nickname the Evil Genius, and and, and it was a reason. You know, he was frustratingly good at his job. You know, if you weren't a Florida fan, um, he always seemed to have an answer for everything that you did, um, and 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 he'll always be remembered. He'll he'll go down as one of the greatest coaches of all time, and 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 deservedly so. Absolutely, and on top of that, he might be the greatest combination of player and coach of all time. I mean, oh yeah, I mean Heisman Trophy winner, Heisman as a Trophy winner, uh, national champion as a as a coach, uh, coach the Heisman Trophy winner. Coach, Coached uh, Heisman Trophy winner and Danny Warfel, um, you know, and you know, most successful coach in the history of South Carolina, most successful coach in the history of University of Florida, probably the most successful coach at Duke as well. I mean, he made Duke relevant um, in the '80s when no one else could. So won the ACC with him. I know it's 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 really you know really quite phenomenal. Um, you know his track record, and I don't really I, care, I don't care what he did in the NFL. Quite frankly, I, I know yeah I'm a college coach. he took it. Well, he took a shot, and, and, and it wasn't for him. I mean, yeah. you know, was it an embarrassment? Yeah. 
No, I mean he did. He took a shot, and it's not for him. So you know that happens. You know, uh, some some of these college guys take shots, and some of these NFL guys take shots in college. You know, they figure out it's not for them, and they and they move on mm-hmm. and get back to what they're comfortable with. I mean, Nick Saban did the same thing. Yeah. Was it was it a bad experience for him? Heck yeah, it was. But absolutely. But he tried it, which is more than a lot of people can say. He got that opportunity, did it, can check that off his list now, and 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 now those NFL rumors will, won't you know won't come about now because you know he's not going to go because you know he's not comfortable with it and you know he you know he's not a good fit and and there's no problem with that you know unless you're a Dolphins fan but. Uh, you know, the Dolphins have been bad for years with or without Nick Saban, so they got bigger problems down there in Miami. So, you know, there's that. Definitely, definitely. And, you know, one uh, of the, I, love, one of the, I love the Ray Goof. Every time he said Ray Goof. It yeah, me. Ray Goof. Yeah, that – the story behind that, I think he was uh, interested in the Georgia job as soon as Vince Dooley left, and, you know, they wouldn't give him the time of day, and they hired Ray Goff. And I think he just – one of his pastimes became just making fun of and, and just absolutely destroying Ray Goff every chance he got. Yeah, I don't, I don't, know, what the, what his, I don't know what his record was in the, in the cocktail party, but I think it was pretty good. I, don't, I think he only lost like one game. Yeah. One of the things that's always going to be a great what if, I feel like with Spurrier, is what if he had never left Florida? I mean, look at his 11 years at South Carolina, 80, 86 wins – at, I think second-tier program, honestly, is a compliment to the Gamecocks. I mean, they're one of the doormats historically of the SEC, and he made them relevant. You know, you, you put those 11 years plus the four where he was in the NFL and then temporarily retired, give that to Florida. I mean, man, how many wins, how many national titles might he have had? And the last thing I want to say about South Carolina tenure is we should probably give a little bit of credit to Lou Holtz because he stabilized that program, if not mistaken, they were coming off like a one in 10 year or something. I think they might've had some probation stuff and he stabilized them. He got them to a couple bowl games and then Spurrier came in and just ratcheted up and got them to three 11 win seasons something that had never happened once in the history of Gamecock football, and he did it three times. Pretty impressive, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a great one-two punch as far as great coaches coming in and and rebuilding your program. To expect Lou Holtz to even come close to winning the SEC East or anything beyond that was just going to be preposterous. They were bringing him in just, like you said, just to get the program back stabilized and just get him pointed in the right direction. With Lou Holtz, at the the point in time he came in to that program, you knew – you're you're only going to get three or four years out of them. South Carolina fans, South Carolina fans knew that going in, and they knew that if they could just get going in a positive direction and be competitive, that the next guy that came in would just you know would take it and run with it, and, and that's what Steve Spurrier did. And at a program like South Carolina, they were so far behind that you know three eleven win seasons in a row is about the max they could do. You know, an SEC championship appearance. Um, things like that, you know, that, that, that was about their ceiling and, and, you know, maybe the next guy can step up and, and, you know, take South Carolina to a level that Steve Spurrier couldn't and, and not saying that Steve Spurrier, that's bad on Steve Spurrier. He just maximized his potential in the short amount of time that he was, you know, 
that he was given. And I, I say short amount of time, you know, his age played a factor in that because he could have gone on beyond 11 years at that program and, and done great things had he had he come at a younger age. But, you know, it is what it is. You know, for South Carolina fans, you know, likely he's set them up for success. But, you know, now the question is for both of these jobs, both of these USC jobs, um, who do they hire? You know, who's on the short list? You know, you, you could go, you could run through your your normal list of candidates and, and say, okay, here's that, here's this, here's who they should hire. But realistically, who do you think they get? You know, what are what are some names that that would that you think would have a realistic chance of getting these jobs? I mean, I think that's I think that's a conversation for to see how the, to see how Sean Elliott does as the interim coach, and then to you know, move on towards later in the season. I mean, the first guy for me that always comes to mind when there's an SEC job open is Kirby Smart. Um, yeah. You know, he, he's the guy, he would be my number one choice if I was, you know, the athletic director. But I don't know if, you know, I, I don't know if he's really keen to take a head coaching job. I think he's had his opportunities. But we'll see. He's had some at smaller programs. Um, but when you're making 1.7, I think, is what he's making as a coordinator, it makes it kind of difficult to go find other work because – you know, your job security is so, so great because you're working for Nick Saban, who's never going to get fired and who's never going to fire you. Uh, it makes it makes your willingness to search a little bit more difficult, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but, you know, if there's anybody tailor-made for this job, I think, I think it is Kirby Smart just because of his recruiting prowess in the state of Georgia. Um, just because of what he brings to the table recruiting-wise, I think it's a smart – higher for them ah. to, to at least attempt. Yeah, I mean, for South Carolina, they might not have to look too far than going upstate a little bit because Brent Venables is on everyone's short list. And Clemson's offensive coordinator, yeah. Yeah, defensive coordinator. Um yeah, I mean that might be that might be interesting. Although Venables is in the very similar situation as Kirby Smart, he gets a healthy paycheck, doesn't have to worry about job security as much. Um, it, it's interesting. I'll give you one completely off the wall name, and okay. this is a guy who's won a national title and flamed out quickly, but the school certainly did not give him a chance to rectify things. Gene Chizik? Yeah, it feels like Gene Chizik will get another job at some point, doesn't it? I mean, he's got yeah. a national title. Yeah, yeah. we'll also, see how he does it. North Carolina. A, he left with a wake of problems at that Auburn program, though, too. Um, I don't know. I, 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 I really don't know. I thought, I thought you were going to say Jim Trestle. But nah, I think Trestle is in a healthy Midwest guy anyway. Now. Yeah. Uh, what about Bo Pelini? What you know, he's at Youngstown State right now. What, what you know, you know he's got his eyes and ears open to opportunities. You think he'd fit in well in the SEC? Had a job like that? Did, as, as the D coordinator at LSU, he certainly did a good job. Yeah. So, well, I think that that's going to be a little bit more. I got to be honest. If I'm Bo Pelini, I'm going to chill out at Youngstown State until one of these Big Ten jobs open, just so I can play Nebraska every year. Oh, uh, yeah. That'd be well, good. you know what? That, that Purdue job might be open pretty soon. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, he might like to go to Champaign also. Who knows? Ooh. Both teams are in the Big Ten West. They get to play Nebraska every year. Oh, he would love nothing more than to just stick it to them. 
Especially I mean, with a team that's been down as, as hard as Purdue. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what about what about the other USC, the one on the West Coast? The one on the West Coast? Well, I think we're going to talk about them a little bit more later when we preview their Notre Dame game. But we need to get into our quick, quick slants now. So, uh, Josh, I'm going to let, let you step up to step up the line first. Yeah, my, uh, my quick slant is uh, Ohio State hosting Penn State, um, kind of under the radar because we have some great top 25 matchups and Penn State not ranked yet. But uh, the Nittany Lions very quietly have won five straight since that terrible Temple game. They've had some up-and-down performances. They didn't look very good against Army, but they took it to Indiana. And their defense, we knew it was a strength last year, and I think because they have had so many issues offensively, people haven't realized this, but that defense, it's – back up to the top 10. They took the Buckeyes to overtime last year. If they put it all together, which admittedly they haven't yet to do this season, but if they find a way in the horseshoe to put it all together, there'll be a competitive game. And if they pull off the upset, that just shakes up everything. Definitely. Definitely. All right, coach, what you got? Well, um, I, I got a, I got a game between two programs that need one badly. Um, two programs that are looking to stay relevant in the SEC East, two that took big losses last weekend. Um, the Missouri Tigers visit Athens and take on the Dogs between the hedges. Um, that's a 7.30 game on the SEC Network. Ooh, night game. Yeah, for those of you who are interested in watching it. Are they wearing um, those black uniforms again? I hope so. They need a spark somehow. Uh, you know, ending the game they did the way they did against Tennessee – where they started strong and faded at the end, um, they're they're going to need to try to get something going. They're going to need to try to get some breathe some confidence back into this team because if there's if there's a team in America that's any less confident, um, it's the Georgia Bulldogs. I mean, they they have no. It just doesn't seem like anything can go right for them at this at this juncture. Nick Chubb is, um, you know, might have a career-ending injury. That was a nasty injury that he took on the very first play of the Tennessee game. Um, you know, so they got to shake that off. You know, uh, Grayson Lambert just continues to struggle when, when his first read gets taken away. So he's got to get better. Um, hopefully he can improve so that the play calling can, can be a little bit more than limited for Brian Schottenheimer. Uh, tackling has got to improve. Looks like they're going to have to get back to some basic fundamentals on the defensive side of the ball in practice this week. Hopefully they did. Um, but it's just going to really just come back and, and, and see if they can just fight and, and keep themselves relevant. There's a lot, a whole lot of trouble going on at Florida with Will, with Will Greer, and we'll get to this later. Um, there's a whole lot of issues going down in Gainesville right now, so they actually have a chance to stay relevant in the East. All they got to do is just fight their way through the schedule and win the rest of the conference games that they have, and, and this will be a tough test. Kentucky will be a tough test. Florida will be a tough test. Auburn will be a tough test. Um, you know, all they got to do is win the rest of their conference games, and and they have a chance to, to, to be in the driver's seat for the East. And, uh, you know, they have a chance. They still have a shot, you know, and, and people wouldn't think that that's true, but it is. So they just, you know, it, honestly speaking, I can throw out all the stats in the world of, of, about this matchup and, and tell you this or that and, and, and how Missouri plays this and how Georgia plays that. But it's, it's really just going to come down to, you know, fight, confidence, you know, making plays early. I think if Georgia makes a few plays early, they get some confidence and, and they start scoring. 
Um, you know, I think you'll see a whole lot different Georgia team than you did the last two weeks when they played Alabama and, and Tennessee. So looking forward to see how they come out and how they respond. Uh, Mark Rick's seat is, is quickly warming up. Um, takes a, if he takes a third loss in a row, it, it could be red hot. So um, hopefully for his sake, because he, he's such a class act in the world of college football, hopefully that doesn't get to that point. But Missouri's a tough team. They scrap. They play some defense. They struggle mightily on offense. Georgia's somehow 16-point favorites. I'm not sure how, but um, but they are. Uh, but it'll be an interesting contest. Uh, definitely a good one for sure because Missouri plays them tough. All right. Well, for my uh, quick slant, I'm going to talk about that big Sun Belt matchup between Idaho and Troy. No, wait. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, but somehow that is a conference game. But for real, my, my quick slant, I actually really want to talk about one of my personal most anticipated matchups of the weekend, where Old Miss heads to Liberty Bowl to take on the Memphis Tigers. Uh, this is the first time in the 60-plus year history of this rivalry that both teams are entering the game ranked in the AP Top 25. Um, so, you know, for me, the big matchup in this game is going to be to see how the Memphis offensive line Holds up against a fast and physical Rebel front seven, uh, featuring uh, Robert Kendici, one of my favorite players to watch. He's so versatile along the defensive line. He can play, you know, he can play D-tackle. He can play um, sort of head up on, he can play head up on the offensive tackle. He can play out wide. He can, you move him anywhere and he's going to be a menace. Um, you know, the big uglies for the Tigers are really going to have their hands full with Kendici and the rest of the gang. And, you know, the only chance for the Tigers to win this game is going to be to keep Paxton Lynch clean. And um, I don't know if he's going to be able to do that. I know Paxton Lynch is a big guy. He's the biggest guy behind center in this part of the country since the hefty lefty himself, Jared Lorenzen. Oh, uh, yeah. If he's, uh, if he's being consistently pressured, it's going to be really hard to keep up his nearly flawless stats this season. Um, I'm going to predict that, uh, that Paxton Lynch throws his first and second picks of the year. He's done 10 touchdowns and zero interceptions so far, but I don't see that continuing because um, he's going to be hurried too much. And so on the other side of the ball, um, I think that Laquan, Laquan Treadwell and Chad Kelly, you know, they've been really making beautiful music all year through the air. I just, I love that um, quarterback wide receiver uh, tandem. I think they, as the years progress, they've gotten more and more in stride with each other. And I don't think Memphis has the talent in secondary to stop them. And I, you know, I've been a huge uh, American athletic conference evangelist all year, but I'm going to take Ole Miss in this game, 38, 24, because they're just, they're, they're too talented um, to, you know, they're almost just too talented to let Memphis, you know, stick around in this game. So, um, well, with that, we need to move on to uh, our play action section. And our first game uh, of the weekend that we're going to talk about is one of the biggest ones, a uh, big SEC West showdown where the Crimson Tide of Alabama are heading to College Station to take on the undefeated Aggies. Uh, Coach, if anyone ha- in the country has the talent at the skill positions to challenge this really great Alabama defense, it's got to be Texas A&M, doesn't it? Absolutely. I mean, you know, you, you thought Ole Miss was talented. Uh, you thought Georgia was talented. You thought Arkansas was talented. But, you know, as far as being able to stretch the field, I think with Kyle Allen and, and standout freshman uh, Christian Kirk, uh, you know, it, it, you got to love the, you got to love what Texas A&M brings to the table. You know, you got to love the, uh, the ability to stretch the field, make big plays against this Alabama defense. Um, you know, Alabama is a great team when they're backed up against the wall, but, um, you know, A&M, I, I really like what they bring. Trey Carson, 
um, has gone over 100 yards in his last three games. Uh, Kenny Hill is, uh, you know, the sophomore who took over as freshman uh, when Kenny Hill replaced following Alabama loss. He completed 64% of his passes, 13 touchdowns, and two interceptions. Um, Allen is, you know, I, I just like their skill positions. I, I think they can. I think they can really stretch the field, and I think they can really put pressure on the the Alabama secondary. Yeah, I mean, uh, what's that old cliche, Coach? You said it recently. Offense does something, defense does something else. I can't remember the year exact quote. Oh, for me? Yeah, yeah. Uh, offense, offense scores a points. Defense wins championships. Yeah, so I – when I was looking at this game, Matt, I really looked at the defenses. So it, Alabama sixth overall and um, 57th. It doesn't hurt when but you I decided to rush in the passer. Yeah. Yeah, so I pulled it out and brought it strength versus strength. So Alabama's passing defense, 35th, still pretty respectable. Texas A&M's passing offense, 23rd. Obviously, that's pretty good. So then I decided to do rushing. Well, Alabama, 49th rushing attack. Texas A&M defense, 85th. So that was jarring to see a defense be that low against the rush. And, and I mean, look, this is a this is a put-my-money-where-my-mouth-is game. I've got Alabama ranked third in my poll, and I said A&M was my sleeper in the SEC West. So – I got to pick one of them, and I'm going to go with the more sure thing. I'm going to go with Alabama with that uh, that rushing attack. Travis Henry uh, getting it done, eating up some clock, using ball control. Um, you know, maybe maybe Saban going a little bit of old school with almost trestle ball against A and M. Yeah, I, I think that for Alabama to win, they're going to have to slow down the tempo. They're going to have to really just force A and M to play at their speed because A and M wants to play fast. They want to be up tempo. They want to get your defense tired. They want to get you on your heels. So, and, and that's why they do the hurry up, no huddle. And I think for Alabama, what they got to do is just time of possession, flip field position, things like that. Just pound on it with uh, with Kenyon Drake and, and Derrick Henry. Just just really hit that run game, wear that wear Texas A and M down, rip the will out of their out of their system, and 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 let's go for A and M. Again, A and M's got to strike early and fast. You know, they, you know, they've got to, they've just got to get off to a really good start. They've got to get some things going offensively. They got to move the ball. If they punt a couple of times, you know, that's going to force Alabama to, uh, you know, or that's going to force A and M to play at Alabama's pace. If they can take the game to Alabama, they have a really good shot at winning this game uh, because I think they are talented enough to do so. Even more talented than the Manziel teams. Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And, this team has way more talent than the Manziel teams. Two quick things. I, I completely agree with you, Coach. Texas A&M has to get out fast uh, coming out of the gate in order to win this game because that not only makes Alabama play at their tempo, but it allows the better part of their defense, or pass rush, Miles Garrett, to really pin their ears back and go for it if, if uh, Alabama's going to have to pass more to, to play catch-up with them. So I think that that would sort of feed right into their hands. Also, don't forget that Ricky Seals-Jones, uh, one of their best receivers, big body, who, um, who they you know move around the field a lot, is suspended for the first half of this game uh, from a targeting penalty from last week. So it's going to be interesting to see um, you know who's going to step up uh, for uh, the Aggies uh, to fill his to fill his role in the offense. How's a wide receiver going to target him? Uh, I think it was on a probably 
Yeah, it's probably crackback block, honestly. Huh. Or it's probably a blindside block, like like. Uh, Interesting. Like on an interception or something. Well, uh, well, we I, know, that, I, think I, just a, I think it's just a uh, like a run play, probably. I, I didn't see it. So yeah, I, I missed that play. If I had to guess, a, a lot of what wide receivers can possibly get targeting penalties for is is on like a long run. They'll peel back and and. Uh, crack back on somebody and then they probably just hit the guy blind side of the guy. And yeah, I haven't seen that play, so I was just curious. If I had to guess, that's probably what that's I, a that's a gutsy call by a ref to make that penalty. Oh yeah, yeah definitely. Um so yeah it actually it was uh it, it was it was targeting because it, it was a crackback block in fact. Okay. So, Interesting. Um but yeah. So anyway, we got to move on uh, to our next top 25 matchup uh, at the Big House, where the battle for the Paul Bunyan Trophy, not to be confused with Paul Bunyan's axe, is being contested for the 108th time this year in the Big House. Josh, I know you've got some actually interesting history for us concerning this Big Ten rivalry. Yeah, so uh, growing up in Big Ten country, we always hear Michigan State be called little brother by Michigan fans. And uh, we all know Michigan's a blue blood program. They've got the most wins in college football history. Um, so I did a little bit of digging, and, and Michigan leads the series 68-34-5. But I think that's pretty unfair to the Spartans. They started out as an agricultural school. They went by Michigan State College for a really long time. They didn't join the Big Ten until 1953. And honestly, their football program is pretty irrelevant until Clarence Munn got there in 1947. So I looked at the history from 1947 on, and it's way closer than anyone would ever guess. Uh, Michigan still leads the all-time series 38-28-2, but that's a really close gap considering the overall is 68-34-5. So 36-3 by Michigan before Sparty became relevant. Uh, national titles since 1947, Michigan State leads 6-3. I don't think many people would have realized that. Uh, Big Ten titles, Michigan still leads pretty handily, but uh, when you got Bo Schimmeckler for a coach, it's not surprising that that happened. But, yeah, I mean – when you look at it for the last 68 years, this is a super, super close rivalry, really under the radar. And I think this is going to be a fantastic, fantastic game. And I'm not going to make my brother please. I'm not going to make Ann Arbor please. But I've been in Michigan State's corner all year. I've been defending them. They've had slow games. Ohio State's doing it, and people say they're disinterested. Alabama does it, and they talk about how strong the SEC is. I think Michigan State has seen them slip in the polls. D'Antonio loves when he's got a boulder on his shoulder. I don't know how Michigan State's going to do it. It defies anything smart from what we've watched through six weeks of the season. But I'm going to say Michigan State somehow pulls one out of their butt and wins this game. Yeah, I mean, you, you got to love the you got to love the coaching matchup here with uh, D'Antonio versus Jim Harbaugh, an ultimate you know two extremely aggressive coaches going at it. You know, two well-coached teams. I think this is probably going to be one of your more fundamentally sound games. You know, because I think both coaches are are really great at what they do, and 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 you're going to see this is probably going to be one of the best games of the weekend. I'm going to predict because these two teams are going to be well prepared. Jim Harbaugh does a good job of preparing, and so does so does uh, D'Antonio. And 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 you gotta you know you, you gotta love what these two programs have brought. You gotta love what Michigan State has done over the last few years. Uh, be, making themselves a relevant program, you know, because it, it it used to just be they were just another they were just another team in the Big Ten. They were just kind of there, 
they'd play you hard, but that, that's really all you could count on for Michigan State. Now they're now they're a team that's counted on to win. You know, they want to they want a tough game against Oregon, uh, a, a team that no matter how how down Oregon may seem, that's a very important win for Michigan State, and you like to see that kind of stuff. Um, so I'm excited about this. I, I I usually don't get fired up about Big Ten football, but you know, thanks to Josh, he's kind of open open my eyes to it a little bit. He's kind of opened the door on, on Big Ten football. So I've gotten more excited about Big Ten football than I ever have. And now that Jim Harbaugh is in the conference and one of my favorite coaches of all time, uh, Mike D'Antonio is in, is in the conference as well, um, I'm fired up. I'm fired up about this matchup. Yeah. For, Michigan, uh, for Michigan, their defense has just got to do their thing. You know, all, all they got to do is do their thing. They, they've – They've been shutting people out, dominating people, flying around the football, making plays left and right, and, and just being physical and 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 getting getting to the ball. Uh, yeah, you know, for Michigan State, they got to do the same thing if they want to win this game. They've got to come ready to play. I mean, they've got to play. You know, you know, it, it's an obvious statement to say, "Oh, they got to play mistake-free football." You know, uh, well, no kidding. But you know, it, it's really important that. Not only you know limit the turnovers, but I mean they they've got to play, you know they got to play smart. They've got to play field position. They they've got to really grind this game down to 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 where they want to be. And I, I think it's uh, you know going to be important for Michigan State to just to just kind of impose their will on Michigan and 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 not necessarily you know feel this game out. I think they're going to have to come out aggressive. Um, they're going to have to play smart. They're going to have to do well in different situations. They're definitely going to have to win the kicking game battle, the field position battle, um, and it goes without saying the turnover battle. But, you know, for Michigan State, they can definitely win this game. Uh, and, and Michigan could definitely, you know, I think either team could blow out either team. I think either team could win a close game. I, I think this is probably one of the more even matchups in the Big Ten that you get. And, and Josh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but I just really – you know, without throwing out a whole bunch of stats, my, my general feeling on these games are are that the more physical team will win. The team that has better rushing statistics in these matchups generally win. Um, the, the team that can uh, – I think the team that can strike first has probably your best shot in, in these type games. So I'm really excited to see what, what, what they bring to the table, what D'Antonio brings to the table in his first matchup against Harbaugh. Well, I think to, just to give some X's and O's to why I'm picking Michigan is or Michigan State is just the teams that have kept close with Spartans have been shredding them through the air, and Jake Rudock is really efficient and he protects the ball pretty well. But he's not known for someone to pick you apart. He kind of doesn't really read the field. He looks at his first guy, maybe the tight end, and that's about it. And I think that favors Michigan State. I think if Michigan State gets beat this year, it's it's going to be with a strong passing attack like Ohio State has, quite frankly. So that's why I'm leaning towards the Spartans. And their best chance, Coach, honestly, is Michigan's defense is so good and their offense is so reliant on the run that if Michigan State gets out early, if, if they do what Texas A&M does and, and put up a number, I, I'm less confident in Michigan playing catch-up. 
Yeah, definitely. Two quick things for me on this game before we have to move on to the next one. First, um, yeah, Josh, I'm with you. I don't trust Jake Rudock. I mean, you had him as your Iowa quarterback for a while. I don't trust Jake Rudock in a big game. And Connor Cook is by far the best quarterback that this Michigan defense has faced this year. Um, so that's going to be an interesting matchup. And finally, if you're a gambler, one thing to note, Michigan State has yet to cover this season. Michigan in this game is favored by seven points. So um, it'll be interesting to see if – um, you know, see what happens there. Josh, sounds like you're, you're, you're picking Michigan State. Corey, are you picking Michigan or Michigan State? I'm going to pick Michigan State. I, I think that, you know, they've been doing it for, for a few years, and I think Harbaugh is just not ready to win this type of game in, in this type of situation yet. So I'm going to go with the Spartans. Um, yeah, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna make it a, a clean sweep for the Spartans as well. It, it it feels like it's against better judgment, though, right? Yeah, it definitely yeah. does. But the thing is that, like, my, my, my gut my, my gut tells me that this that you know Michigan is, is good, but I think Michigan is still a flawed team at quarterback, and they've got to come back down to earth. I like Connor Cook a lot, and I think Michigan might be you know. Get, you're buying into the hype a little bit too much right now. It, it uh, almost feels like the Alabama-Georgia game from a few weeks ago where everyone was panicking about Alabama, and, well, they showed that you can't bury them. Absolutely. Well, we've got we've to gotta move from, uh, from this Michigan-Michigan State game to one of their rivals, Notre Dame, uh, is bringing in – uh, you know, the Trojans are coming into town after a really tumultuous week uh, to head to touchdown Jesus. And this is, you know, another big rivalry game for these teams. So, Josh, what has to happen for USC to pull off the upset here? Oh, man, uh, Cody Kessel needs to, to score love, some points. You love Cody Kessel more than anyone else I know who does not affiliate with USC. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty simple. You look at their last two games. Arizona State, he had a really good game. Defense scored some points. They put up a 42 spot, and then against Washington, only 12 points. That's not going to win you any games. They gotta, they gotta find a way to score. It's that simple. Uh, Notre Dame has so many injuries, especially on the offensive side of the ball, that at some point they're not going to be able to score as efficiently as they have. That said, I would have picked the Irish even if Sarkisian was on the sideline with the tumultuous week they've had. I know sometimes teams circle the wagons and it makes them better. We saw Illinois rise to the occasion with a weird circumstance, but the zombie Irish are just getting it done. And, I mean, they they almost pulled off that Clemson win after being behind by a country mile. This is a team that could easily be undefeated. They could be a top-10 team. I'm going Notre Dame. Easy, honestly. Yeah, I think that you're exactly right, Josh. Everything that's happened with USC, just a major distraction. Um, things that they've been focused on. Practice has probably been terrible this week. They probably hadn't been able to get a whole lot done. They've probably had to ask a lot. They've probably been having to answer a lot of questions about Sarkeesian and, and things like that. So um, they had problems before then uh, offensively. Uh, it baffles me to see how talented they are on that side of the ball and to see the lack of production. Uh, it makes you wonder what's going on, uh, and it makes you wonder how much Spark, uh, Spark, how much Sark's uh, alcohol abuse problem um, had to play into it, um, and and you just never know. Uh, so they're going to have to find something, and they're going to have to find something quickly, and they're going to have to do so in a hostile environment uh, at Notre Dame. So uh, 
the chances are, are very, are very slim for USC. It just doesn't look good for them this week. Uh, you know, you hate to see it because USC is such a historically proud program, a lot of tradition out there. Um, you know, it, it's going to be one of those things. I think Notre Dame is going to roll. Uh, and Notre Dame has done a good job of, of putting it, of holding it together. They're on, I think they're on their eighth string quarterback. They, I think they're on, uh, I think they're getting ready to offer me a scholarship at running back. Uh, that's how depleted they are. That's how injury, that's how hard the injury bug has hit them. Um, but, uh, you know, I really like what they've done. I think Chip Kelly's done a tremendous job at rallying those guys and, and really done a good job of hitting home the uh, next guy up theory. Yeah. You know, that's what you like to see in football. Um, a lot of people take it as lip service, but, you know, Ch- uh, Chip Kelly is holding that true. Brian Kelly, Brian Kelly. Chip Kelly, yeah, Brian Kelly, I'm sorry. Not the Phil- I'm not talking about the Philadelphia Eagles here. I'm talking <laughs> about uh, But, you know, the, the theory of next man up, you know, as as a coach, I love seeing what Notre Dame's doing with that. You know, it, it just it's just something that you can point to. Like, see, hey, they're doing it. They're you know, they have all these injuries and and they're not panicking. They're still winning football games. They're still competing. They're still in it. And and you know, you like to see that. So I, I think that Deshaun Kaiser is is super talented. Uh, CJ Prosite is super talented. I think he's done a tremendous job running the football for him. So. You know, I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna win big, and I think they're gonna get back on their winning track. And USC uh, gonna take that tumble. You know, I, I think they've got bigger problems, bigger issues than just this week here. I, I think they're just gonna. I think their season's gonna crumble. And I hate it for Chad Hilton because I think he's a good coach, but you know, I don't think this is gonna be a good proper representation of of his abilities to to coach and lead a team. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, if, if SC is going to um, w- w- win this game, um, I f- you know, what's going to happen, they're going to have to get the ball in the hands of Juju Smith-Schuster and Adore Jackson, um, you know, in order to make it, you know, to make it work at all. I don't see them winning this game, but um, from that, though, we got we got to keep moving on, and we're going to move down to Death Valley uh, in a battle of two of the best defenses in the SEC. Uh, the Gators are headed to play LSU for a night game in Baton Rouge. So, Coach, how's Florida going to fare without suspended quarterback Will Greer? Well, uh, I would say normally that, that, that they're rolling along. And, you know, had Will Greer not gotten suspended for performance-enhancing drugs, I would say that, man, I like I really like Florida in this game. And even in our midseason, you know, even in our midseason review, I, I, I was very impressed about Florida. I talked very highly of the, of the Gators and, and, and what they're doing, and it looks like it might come all crashing down, uh, crashing down on them. You know, they, they, they had a challenge when they were at full strength, but now it, it gets even it gets even more difficult. So, Treon Harris, I didn't think much of him as a quarterback uh, when he took over last year. I, I don't know if anything has changed under Jim McElwain. I don't, I don't know if he's improved at all, but, uh, you know, we're going to see. Uh, and this Florida defense, I don't think they faced a rushing attack quite like LSU right now. Leonard Fournette has already rushed for over a thousand yards and twelve touchdowns already on this season, um, and and it hasn't been against tomato cans. I mean, it's been against teams like South Carolina, Syracuse. Uh, I draw a blank on who all they've played, but um, you know, it, it it's it, it just keep the the, the hundred yard games, the two hundred yard games just keep piling up for for Leonard Fournette, and and he is he is the best back. I think he's going to win the Doak Walker Award. Um, 
But, you know, Greer, he averaged 200 passing yards per game, you know, and, and they sit atop the SEC East. They're losing that type of production, so you wonder. Um, there's a, And like I said, there's a significant drop-off. They're going to have to really, you know, if they're going to win this game, they're going to have to lean on Kelvin Taylor. They're going to really have to lean on their on their defense led by lineman Jonathan Bullard, Alex McCluster, and, and, and Joey Ivey. Uh, those guys have been – uh, menaces on the defensive line. Um, they've held four opponents to 13 points or less, so that's in, that's within their favor. I think that LSU is prone to having games like that, which you know is possible. So uh, it's going to be a, a, a very much back and forth. I think if LSU can get Fournette going, I think that they will win comfortably. Um, if they can't, if they struggle to get the run game going, and then and they allow. Uh, Florida to make them one-dimensional, I think Florida's going to roll in this game. If Florida gets them in a situation where they're throwing a lot, if they get ahead early, if they somehow find a way to get Treon Harris going, um, and, and, and he don't even have to do anything special. He just has to he just has to be mediocre and hand the ball to Kelvin Taylor. It's going to be important for Kelvin Taylor to get going, but if he can get going and they can get on the board early and, and force LSU to play from behind, I think they're going to win this game because that defensive line is so nasty that they're going to pin their ears back and just and just come and get you. And that's yeah. and, and my bold prediction. Um, I said all that about Florida and what they have to do. I just don't think they're going to be able to stop Leonard Fournette. Not with all the distractions they've been dealing with this week. I think they're along the same lines as USC as far as distractions go. Um, it's a different kind of distraction. Uh, it's, it's dealing with their starting quarterback and. And a member, and another member of their team who shot a gun in the direction of his pregnant girlfriend, um, in the same room, or however you want to, however it was stated. So they, they've had they've had their share of trouble as well. They've had their share of distractions to to address as well. So they're not a team that's coming in super focused. We'll see if they can continue to play super focused like they have been uh, prior to this prior to this week. But we'll see. We'll see what they got. My prediction is is LSU by a touchdown. Yeah, I guess, first of all, all due respect to LSU, but to me, the real Death Valley is and always will be Clemson. That said, look, Florida, it was a really, really good story, but it's about to get exposed. They only beat East Carolina by a touchdown. They only beat Kentucky 14-9. They barely beat Tennessee, one-point game. They looked great against Mississippi, but Mississippi has issues, and we talked about them in the preseason where they had a really high ceiling, but we thought they were going to be a little hit and missed. And frankly, Mississippi is pretty one-dimensional with their passing attack. And then Missouri is Missouri. I mean, I don't know how much you can read into a 21-3 win against Missouri. So I, I'm fully confident in Leonard Fournette. I think that that Florida defense is finally going to – show that their stats are a little bit inflated by playing some of the teams I just mentioned, including New Mexico State. So I would have picked the Bayou Bengals even without all the turmoil with Will Greer and stuff, but just makes me even more confident that Les Miles and gang finds a way to keep it rolling. Definitely, yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I'm definitely taking. I'm definitely taking the Bayou Bengals in this one. Um, we we gotta move on quickly because we gotta get wrapping up here. So quickly, our final matchup of the week has undefeated Iowa heading to Evanston to take on the Wildcats, who are coming off a real butt whipping at the hands of the Wolverines. Uh, Josh, you're gonna be at the game, so what are you gonna be? Yeah. 
Oh, well, I guess, first of all, it goes without saying that as an Iowa fan, we're always nervous when we play Northwestern. There's some, some funky history with that game, and um, I don't know how much of it is true or, or just a Iowa reasoning for Northwestern seemingly having our number the last about decade, it feels like. But, yeah, it, it's been a strange affair with these two teams, kind of almost – I would call it a proxy rivalry. I, I know Northwestern cares more about it than Iowa, but um, this is the first time that they'll both be ranked in quite a while going into it. It's going to be an intriguing game. I think I think Iowa wins. They, they have better athletes, as you would expect. The passing game has really improved with C.J. Beathard. And, uh, you know, Tavon Smith's been hurt, but they had a freshman, another kid named Smith, um, step up and make some big plays against Illinois. That said, I'm still unbelievably worried because I think Fitz gets this team playing angry at how they performed. I don't think they're going to like be second guessing themselves and playing in a shell. I I think they come out angry, but Iowa finds a way to get it done. And let's also not forget Northwestern's got a freshman quarterback. Yeah, I mean, I think the key—I think the key for that is for Iowa and, and led by defensive end Drew Ott. I think they've got to get well, after. with an ACL. That's the problem. Yeah. yeah. So he's not going to be getting after anybody. <laughs> um, you know, they got to figure out a way to get past that, and then they got to figure out a way to, you know, get after this freshman quarterback with somebody. Um, yeah. Um, and and there's no doubt they'll get Jordan Canizari going. Um, you know that that's that's pretty. You know, that's almost as sure as turning the light on. Um, but, uh, you know, I think Iowa's defense, they're, they're resilient. They play hard. They play fast. They play physical. Uh, you know, they, they're really good against the run, uh, and they can, force, they can force teams to try to be one-dimensional. And I think they'll do a good job of that this, this week against Northwestern. I think they'll do a good job of getting after that freshman quarterback. I, I think Northwestern, I, I think some of the shine has worn off on them a little bit. Um, after that butt, whick, butt whipping they took against Michigan. So we'll see how they respond. For them, they're just going to have to uh, – they're going to have to put last week behind them and, 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 just, and just go. They're going to have to play hard. They're going to have to forget about what happened last week, and they're going to have to just – they're going to have to just perform. And, and that's just going to – they're going to have to be resilient. And, and for Northwestern, nobody expected anything out of them anyway. Um, they're already overachieving now. So, you know, what's one more week? You know, yeah. they just kind of get some early confidence. That freshman quarterback, you know, with any young quarterback, you get them going early, get a few short completions under their belt, you know, get their running game going to, to take the pressure off of them, and, and, and you got a pretty good game plan. And, and their defense is already good, so you don't have to really worry about their game plan there. Um, you know, Kansas going to do his thing. They just got to kind of limit what they do. They got to win in special teams, and, and, and that that's how they're going to have to roll. So uh, my, my prediction, though, is that, Iowa's going to win this game. I think it's going to be more of a defensive struggle. Um, I think that's kind of what type of games Iowa likes to play, judging on the scores that I've seen from them and, and, and some of the some of the things that I've, that I've seen about them and some of the things, Josh, that, that you've talked about as well. Uh, I think that they're just, you know, they're going to get after you. They're going to grind the game way down, and, and I think that's just kind of how they win. So I'm predicting a low-scoring defensive – I don't want to say defensive struggle. That's not the right word because – I really like defensive football games. I think it's just going to be a fast, you know, defensive not, not battle. Fast. Yeah, it's going to be a well, battle. You, um, you know, you know, Northwest. 
Yeah, you know, Northwestern, people are still kind of hanging their head on that Stanford win and the Duke win. And I mean, those were impressive as anything else. But the Stanford game, it's weird when you're a West Coast team playing 9 a.m. body time. And Iowa, you can counter it with they won in Madison. And that Pittsburgh game by the week is getting more and more impressive. Definitely, definitely. Well, we got to move on from that game to get to our spread formations real quick. Um, so after a four and one week, the coach is back over five hundred at thirteen and twelve. Josh is leading the way at seventeen and fourteen, and I am bringing up the rear at fifteen and sixteen against the spread. So our first game of the week pits uh, Cincinnati uh, heading out to Provo to play uh, BYU, uh, who are favored by seven points. Josh, who you got? Oh man, that, that is a tough. Tough one to pick. You started with a with a difficult one. Cincinnati has not really impressed me. There, there's just something with the Bearcats. And you know what? BYU burned me a week ago. I thought the Purple Pirates were going to go in there and, and win. And you know what? I should not have discounted how difficult Provo is and Lavelle Edwards Stadium. So I'll take the Cougars to cover. Coach? Yeah, I, I like the Cougars. I, I think that – um, Provo is already a tough place to play for anybody. And for a team like Cincinnati coming in, just it just kind of makes me get the feeling that they kind of struggle on the road. They're, they're kind of an overachieving program. And, and when they beat Miami, that's probably the highlight win of their season. Uh, and they won that game at home. So uh, it's a West, it's somewhat of a West Coast trip. It's a it's not quite a West Coast trip, but it's about as close as you can get without being on the West Coast. It's a Rocky Mountain trip. It's a Rocky Mountain trip. There's just something off with the Bearcats this year, and I can't put my yeah, finger on it. There definitely is. I think I think part of it has to do with Gunnar Keel keep getting injured and uninjured. So I'm with you guys. I'm going to take the Cougs at home. Um, our second game uh, pits Oklahoma, who are coming off of the, the big loss in the Red River rivalry, uh, three-and-a-half-point favorites at K-State. Josh, we got quick. <sighs> it's really tempting to pick Kansas State because – Texas just ran the ball down Oklahoma's throat. But without looking at it, I can't think of too many times where Bob Stoops has lost back-to-back games. Sooners find a gutty way to win by a touchdown. It'll be a tight game. And a touchdown covers, obviously. Yep. Coach? I like Oklahoma. You know, I don't think it'd be too sound of me to pick Kansas State. I just don't think they're ready to win this game. I think uh, big game Stoops, uh, big game Bob. I think he's going to win this game in response. I don't think he. I think he rarely loses two in a row like that. Um, I like the. I like the Sooners. Definitely not. Yeah, Kansas State has struggled uh, with with their, with their quarterbacks this year. So yeah, I, I, I'm going with uh, Baker Mayfield and the Sooners. Um, third game uh, that we're picking, uh, Louisville heads to Florida State, who are seven and a half point favorites in Tallahassee in an early game. Josh, I like. I'll, oh yeah. Oh, go ahead, oh, go ahead coach. Yeah, go ahead, coach. I think Dalvin Cook's going to have a huge game here. I think he's going to, you know, I think he's a special type of talent at running back for the Seminoles. Uh, I think he's going to have a huge game here. Quarterback play is not really going to matter. Um, And there's not really a whole lot uh, LSU. I think there's really not a whole lot that Louisville can do about it. I think Dalvin Cook rushes for 200 in in Florida State rolls. Yeah, you know, Louisville, you can kind of say that they've turned the corner winning their last two, but NC State's fallen apart in league play, and the other win was Sanford. I, I think Florida State cruises. I, I'm not going to say they beat them down, but 
I think they win by 10 or more. Something in my gut is telling me that Louisville is going to lose, but cover. I, 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 it's, it's an early start. I think the Florida State's going to be a little bit groggy for some reason. Uh, give me Louisville and the points. Interesting. Uh, well, you yeah. got you got to make up ground. So I do, I do. Uh, uh, next, we're heading out to the Mountain West, where Air Force is four and a half point favorites on the road in Fort Collins to take on the Rams of Colorado State. Uh, it's fighting Bobos, Coach. Uh, who you got? I like to fight in Bobos. I think he's going to find a way to turn around his season. Uh, got got off to a tough start at two and four, um, so I think he's going to find a way to get back on track. I like the I like the Bobos. Josh, well, I like Troy Calhoun. He's a proven winner. Air Force undefeated in the Mountain West. I think they find a way to keep it rolling, and it's only four and a half, so a touchdown covers. Yeah, I you know I love I love Colorado State coming into the season. I love Mike Bobo, but their quarterback play has been so inconsistent this year. And Air Force is always just um, you know is, is always really a really tough offense to prepare for. So I'm going to take Air Force on the road as well. So our final game in a legal motion podcast tradition uh, pits 30, Texas Tech on the road getting 31 and a half at Kansas um, because we have to end with a Kansas pick, guys. It's just it's, it's what we do. Um, so, uh, you know, coach, who you got in this, uh, in this big 12 matchup? I, I think Cliff Kingsbury is going to be doing the whip and nay, nay after this one, after they cover their 31 point spread. So, uh, give me the red Raiders. Um, I don't really need a big explanation for this one, but yeah, just give me Texas tech. So well, I, I picked Kansas to get blown out last week and it worked out and I'm even more confident this week, uh, Kansas, 103rd. 123rd ranked defense, passing defense 119th. Uh, last time I checked, the Red Raiders averaged about 50 some points a game. So give they me average over 400 yards in the air per game. So <laughs> yeah, give me the Red Raiders. Yeah, uh, I've been burned by Kansas twice in a row now. I'm not going to make it a third time. So uh, that's a queen. That's a clean sweep for uh, Cliff Kingsbury and the handsome Red Raiders. Um, you know, heading to Kansas to play on a field surrounded by a track. Um, so, well, that that is going to do it for us here this week on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Thanks so much, guys. Any last words? Well, I mean, you can't get much big of a rivalry on ESPN3. Georgia Southern hosts New Mexico State Aggies. It's not quite a, uh, a geographic rivalry, but they are still in the same country. All right. <laughs> nice. Love it. Nice. Well, that'll do it for us. So thanks for listening. As always, uh, email us, find, follow us on Twitter, and we will see you guys next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. To get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.